No changes. The items on the consent calendar are considered routine and will be adopted by one motion unless a member of the commission requests to have any item considered separately. Members of the community may have an item removed if they contact the city manager by 5 p.m. Uh, today. There are no citizen requests. Any uh, commissioner requests to remove an item from the agenda? No. All right. I move we uh, approve the consent calendar. I'll second that. And uh, roll call, Ms. Brooks. Commissioner Hearn. Yay. Commissioner Brownson. Aye. Commissioner Whip. Here. Commissioner Rocker. Aye. And Chair Jones. Aye. Regular agenda items. Uh, all agenda items are open for public comment following deliberation by the commission. Rather than ask for public comment after each agenda item, but there's only one tonight, uh, we'll ask that audience members raise your hand if you want to speak to the item and you'll be recognized. Comments will be limited to three minutes. Item A is public hearing and resolution for supplemental budget resolution, Astro West Urban Renewal District Fund Number 127. Oregon Revised Statutes provide the guidance for a municipality to hold a public hearing on a supplemental budget to adjust for changes which could not be reasonably foreseen when preparing the original budget. And in this case, the city has contracted with Mike Morgan to assist with the Maritime Memorial expansion. Uh, the Maritime Memorial, as you may know, is located under the Medgar Bridge over in Uniontown. A new set of concrete and granite walls are required to continue to allow families to include the names of loved ones who worked on or in relationship to the water. The Maritime Memorial Committee has been working on an expansion for some time. The Maritime Memorial is maintained and expanded through fees which individuals have paid to have their families' names engraved. The cost of this expansion is greater than funds which are currently contained in the Maritime Memorial Fund. We look for ways to reduce the scope of this project, but it was felt that there were financial as well as design benefits to complete it all at one time. Therefore, a loan between the Astor West Urban Renewal District and the Maritime Memorial Fund is proposed. To be able to achieve this, a budget amendment is required by both the Astoria Development Commission and the City Council. So you have two items which are, uh, which are combined tonight. The first one where the Astoria Development Commission is, con is considering a budget amendment. So the total budget required for the expansion is estimated at $125,000. Additional funds may be required for excavation, landscaping, and for a contingency uh, should that be needed in case there are any unforeseen uh, issues that come up during the construction of the expansion. The estimate of the additional funding is $50,000. The Maritime Memorial Park, again, is located within the Astor West boundaries and would meet the district's uh, criteria for use of funds. However, it's been the city's policy to utilize the uh, revenues from the engraving fees rather than using tax dollars for construction and maintenance of this, uh, of this facility, and that's been the city's policy over the years. The city again is not looking to utilize funds permanently, but is requesting a loan and is seeking a 0% $50,000 loan from the Astor West Urban Renewal Fund for a period not to exceed five years. The loan would be repaid through uh, donations and proceeds from memorial engravings. 
and uh, our finance director, Susan Brooks, has uh, looked at the revenues which come in uh, every year from the engravings, and uh, typically it's in the range of, uh, let's say, fifteen dollars to $20,000. There's usually about $10,000 in, in extra capital that we can, can be used each year to repay the loan. So tonight it's recommended that the development, the development Commission conduct a public hearing and consider approving the supplemental budget as presented in the resolution. The public hearing is now open. Are there any members of the public who would like to speak to this issue? Public hearing is closed. Commissioner discussion. Well, I just like to say that I'm all for it. Right? Um, we, you know, we've been planning on this expansion. We've done some work uh, to lay the groundwork uh, over the last year, so uh, this will help us move forward. And it's really no cost to us, and gets this thing going uh, on. Say let's go. Agreed. Maritime Memorial is an asset to the community in a number of ways, and uh, it is self-supporting. It's a loan that we pay back, and uh, so I can support it as well. Great. And I also, it's a great way to fund it, and it's an important memorial that we have in our maritime community. Could we have a motion? Um, sure. <laughs> so, commissioners, we would need a motion to approve uh, the supplemental budget as presented in the resolution included in the packet. Okay. I move that we uh, approve the supplemental budget as presented in the attached resolution. I second. Roll call, Mr. Williams. Councilor Rocca? Uh, aye. Councilor West? Aye. Councilor Browson? Aye. Councilor Curley? Aye. Mayor Jones? Aye. And are there uh, you have no other new business. Northern new business from the Development Commission. Are there any, is there anyone who would like to make a public comment for anything that's under the purview of the Estuary Development Commission? I uh, hereby close the Estuary Development Commission meeting at, uh, that's not right. No, it is right. It's <laughs> 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 I now call to order the February 4, 2019 meeting of the Astoria City Council. Roll call. Uh, Mr. Harrington. Councilor Herman? Here. Councilor Brunson? Here. Councilor West? Here. Councilor Rocca? Here. Here. Uh, tonight we have a presentation. I'd like to uh, welcome Ms. Lisa Dunlap, Regional Business Manager for Pacific Power, to give her the annual update. Welcome. Hi. I assume this is my driver. Um, so, Ms. Dunlap, we are actually continuing to have some uh, some technical difficulties with our uh, projector, and so maybe if you would just say next and realize there's going to be a bit of a delay um, between each slide. Okay, no problem. Uh, we'll, we'll pause here for a moment. So. Um, I'm Elisa Dunlap. I've met some of you. Some of you have communicated via email. Um, it's nice to be here. This is my annual update to City Council that I'm required to do um, per our franchise agreement. I'm technically only required to present on our franchise fees paid in Clapham County. 
but I like to take the opportunity uh, to present on other things that we're doing in the county and then other um, things that Pacific Power is doing um, across our three-state territory. So go ahead, next. Okay, so we're starting local. Um, so in Clatsop County, we serve about 24,000 customers. Statewide, we have over 750,000 customers. We're primarily a rural utility. We have a very, very small portion of Northeast and North Portland. It does include the Portland Airport, which um, I have the pleasure of being their account manager, so I get to hear all about what's going on at the airport. There's a lot of construction, if you haven't noticed. Um, if you go to the airport um, in the next five years, you're going to see a lot of construction. Um, but we also serve customers in Hood River, out in the Gorge, Pendleton, um, Central Oregon, some Southern Oregon, Coos Bay, Lincoln City, um, and then mid-Willamette Valley area. Um, but we're primarily rural. Um, so here, here's the bread and butter of why I'm here. So in 2018, we paid uh, $1.3 million in franchise fees. Um, in Clatsop County. So that includes Astoria, Warrington, Seaside, Cannon Beach, and then I actually forgot the community that I live in, which is Kierhart. Um, so they're, they're also included, I just left them off the slide. Um, and then I also wanted to talk about property taxes. So we own quite a bit of property in Clatsop County and we paid over uh, $500,000 in property taxes in 2018. Um, we also support a number of local um, business community activities and also um, 501c3s, both through our employees' time and volunteerism and then also um, corporate and our foundation support financially. Um, our operations center is over in Warrington. We're over by um, the Oregon State Police and Medics, kind of behind Costco. Um, and then across three states, we have about 5,500 5, employees. So the next slide is about community giving. Um, so I'll start with our foundation. So our foundation, between our foundation and our corporate giving, last year we contributed about $70,000 in the community. Um, we also, like I said, we participate in the Astoria Warrington Chamber of Commerce, the Astoria Downtown uh, Association. Um, we're also participants in the Astoria Regatta. Um, we also belong um, to Assistance League, and we participate in the United Way campaign every year, both locally here in Clatsop County and then uh, company-wide. United Way is one of our partner charities. Um, we um, also do um, volunteerism, so this is going to be the next slide. Um, every year we help put up the Astoria and Warrington uh, Christmas display. So our linemen volunteer their time to do this on the weekends, which um, in communities like Astoria, Warrington, um, Seaside, that don't have a lot of bucket trucks to go around, we try to spread um, as much of that volunteerism as we can. Our local employees and our Portland employees also come every year in the fall to do a beach cleanup with an organization called SOLVE. I sit on that board, it's a statewide um, environmental organization, primarily known for um, their trash pickups, both on the beaches in Oregon, which is how it started, and now they're starting to do um, urban and some other cities throughout Oregon. Next. All right, so now we're gonna get to some initiatives. So first off, uh, right before I left on maternity leave, so I had a giant belly last time I was here, um, and we were going through a rebranding. 
So we have rebranded at the bottom of all my slides. You're going to see a, a tagline called Powering Your Greatness. So we also have a, a new microsite called poweringyourgreatness.com. If you go on there, there's a bunch of really cool um, short videos about things that we're doing with our customers across the state. I think one in particular that I think is um, really neat is our partnership with the Portland Trailblazers. The Moda Center is now, um, and the team itself, is now the, the first team in the NBA to be able to say they're net zero. So we've worked with them to uh, do some energy efficiency projects. They've done some purchase of renewable energy. So the Moda Center is 100% renewably powered, which is a pretty cool um, thing for not only Oregon, but also for the team as they travel around uh, the US. And so another thing that you're probably going to be hearing about is smart meters. So smart meters are digital electric meters. They measure the same thing that your meters measure now, which is your whole house data, uh, but they do it wirelessly, um, which also gives a lot of really great benefits, including um, being able to have better energy, um, energy data. So you as the consumer can go onto your Pacific Power online account either through your mobile app or on your computer and you can see hourly data. So that'll tell you um, at your home or at your business if at 3 a.m. you know everybody is asleep, if there's a power spike at 3 a.m. you can kind of decipher, well, what's going on there? Um, let's investigate, let's see what's turning on, um, and really figure out better ways to manage your own energy usage. Um, we also feel like it's going to be really great for response times. So a lot of people don't know this. When there's an outage, um, we wait for customers to call us. And then we have a cluster of customers call us from a certain area. We know that the power's out. With a smart meter, it's going to instantaneously tell us that a whole section of town is out. So it'll lead to better and quicker response times for outage management, which we, which we think is a huge uh, perk for our customers. And then lastly, um, it's a step in the right direction toward allowing for a more efficient grid. Um, so what I mean by that is the grid is managed by supply and demand. Um, smart meters are giving us more integral data on what our demand is, and that way we can better match our supply, which means we can better um, integrate renewables into the system as those are variable resources. We'll have better data on what the supply is and we can better match those resources. Um, specifically, Clackop County is getting these meters starting next week. We will be starting February 11th out in East County and then working our way south. Um, from there, the last thing I'll note um, is we will be doing two community presentations. Um, so if there are people that are interested in hearing more, um, we will be doing one in North County, one in South County. South County will be March 5th. We're still working on the location, but it's likely going to be in Seaside. Um, for North County, which is going to be most interest to you all, um, it's March 6th, so the next day, um, at Fort George in the Lavelle showroom from 5.30 to 7. Um, and we will basically be having a short presentation about smart meters, and then we're going to be doing tables. So if you have a question about something completely unrelated to smart meters, come and ask. If you have a question about your bill, come and ask. There will be somebody there uh, to help you. So next slide. So other cool things that the company is working on. Um, so <coughs> continuing on the uh, grid efficiency and renewables. Um, so we're working uh, toward our Energy Vision 2020, which I think I believe 
I've, I presented on last time I was here. Well, it's fully approved by the Public Utility Commission in six states, which is a huge feat. Um, basically, what this does is primarily repowering our existing renewable facilities. So technology's changed a lot in the last 10 years since we put in our first wind farms and our first solar farms. So basically, we're upgrading our technology. Instead of building a brand new solar farm or building a brand new wind farm, we're taking the existing structures and putting new turbines on them, which maximizes the efficiency and capacity of what that uh, project will already give to us. And same for solar. Um, solar panels are vastly different than they were when we first put them in. So we're upgrading technology, great for um, maximizing customer benefit. Um, speaking of customer benefit, EIM, so energy imbalance market. This is something else that I've talked about here. Um, this is something we've been engaged in since 2014. This is a transmission level project that we um, embarked on with the California Independent System Operator, that's a mouthful, but that's basically California's transmission operator. So when you're talking grid level, you're talking transmission. So basically what this did was allow us to better integrate resources on a first and hourly basis. We used to be only day ahead trading, then we went to hourly, now we're moving closer and closer to 15 minute increments, which for a system like California that's going to output a lot of solar, they have more capacity than they can um, than their demand. So we can purchase that at negative pricing, which is a huge benefit to our customers. If you look up here in our 2018 report, we had um, 400, $401 million of direct customer benefit, which is huge, um, out of one initiative that we started a few years back. And then Blue Sky, so I've talked about Blue Sky a lot. Um, in this county. So in 2017, Clatsop um, County became the first county in Oregon and only the second in the nation to receive the um, EPA's Green Power Community designation. That's a big deal um, to be the only one in Oregon and then only the second um, in the entire nation, only second to Marin County. And if you know anything about Marin County, um, they're very strong on renewables. So it's a huge testament to this um, county that we have that designation. And with that successful challenge, um, Pacific Power Blue Sky is making a contribution toward a solar project in the county. It had to be a county-owned building. Uh, the county chose the Boynton building, so right down the street. Um, and that building will be getting solar panels by the end of the year. Um, and then lastly, uh, Blue Sky Select is a program for our non-residential customers. That's the program that allows the trailblazers to become a net zero and fully renewably powered team. Okay. And then going in a completely different direction, um, our CEO has a huge commitment to educating our youth, which now that I have a daughter is huge um, for me too. And I think this is a really great project. We're still kind of getting it off the ground, but we've launched a CTE, which is Career Technical Education and STEM project, so STEM, Science, Technology, Engineering, and Math. Basically, our CEO has a vision um, that Pacific Power can help bring the business community together with our education <coughs> partners. We serve over 250 uh, small communities throughout Oregon, so we feel that we have statewide leverage, we can help bring different communities together, um, learn from each other, um, and then really work on what does business need to, to thrive, and then how do we help our education partners 
uh, match what the business community needs. So here in Clatsop County, I've convened a meeting already with all of the superintendents at the local schools, and then I've engaged with the community college on what this might look like. There are some pro programs that are already working well here, like Classic <coughs> Works, which is using high school students um, to go intern at local businesses. So that's a program that's already existing. How can um, the rest of the business community, how can Pacific Power you leverage resources or help engage with that project? So it's not necessarily creating from scratch, but it's helping to make better what's already here. And then electric vehicles, this is something that I talked about last time too. Um, we are actively working on electric vehicles and how to um, help our customers with electric vehicle projects. Um, so in, uh, Jan or in December of 2018, we rolled out a grant program. So this is for non-residential customers, so, so businesses, municipalities um, can apply for grants to support electric vehicle infrastructure. And basically it's a soup to nuts grant. So if you're looking for um, technical support on where to put an electric vehicle, you could apply for a grant to help you with that technical assistance to get you up and running. But it's a really neat program. Um, we'll be having those on a quarterly basis throughout 2019. Um, and then the, the next uh, grant closes on 2015, or in February uh, 15 in 2019. And we're hoping, if funding allows, that we'll be able to continue it into 2020 as well. But for sure, every quarter of, of 2019, we'll have a grant period open. Um, and so far, we've received some pretty strong applications. And surprisingly, none. So far from our Portland uh, service territory, they've all been from uh, mostly rural Oregon, which is great. Um, but with that, I think that was my last slide. So lastly, um, we're here to be a community partner. I'm happy to answer any questions. Um, our our 24-7, 365 days a week, a week number is up there. That's not my phone number. <laughs> um, although my phone, as some of you know, Brett knows this, if there's outages in the middle of the night or there's critical infrastructure, my phone is on most of the time, which is real fun when baby wakes up at 2 and you have an outage at 1. You're up all night. <laughs> Question? Well, thanks, Ms. Dunlap. Thanks for all the uh, community uh, generosity that Pacific Power uh, does. I really like the CTE STEM initiative. I look forward to hearing more about that as it develops. I did have a question about the status of solar incentives. I heard recently for either private homeowners or business owners that want to do solar, is this calendar year, the year that it starts, they start throttling back unless there's some new initiative? So what's the status of incentives for solar? Yep, so solar incentives are primarily handled by the Energy Trust of Oregon at the residential level. Um, and I believe you're correct that state funding for those incentives is kind of ratcheting back. Um, the Energy Trust gets most of their funding actually from Pacific Power and Portland General Electric customers. We pay into the Energy Trust and then the Energy Trust administers some of these programs for us. Um, but I believe you're right, this is the last year for um, solar incentives at the level that they're at and then they'll just decrease. Same with electric vehicles at the federal level. Um, this has nothing to do with Pacific Power, but um, electric vehicles are similar at the federal level. Um, they are ratcheting down um, electric vehicle incentives, which is one of the reasons we really thought it was a smart idea to start doing grant programs and get more literature out there about electric vehicles as this is the last year 
uh, for those tax incentives for the, at the federal level. Thanks. I have a question about the um, smart meter program. I've just had a few questions from folks that were interested in opting out of it. And is is there a what is the deadline for that? So there is no deadline for opting out. Um, uh, interesting fact: most utilities in the state that have smart meters, which were one of the last utilities to get smart meters, don't have opt-out programs. Uh, we really felt strongly that we wanted to give our customers a choice. Um, so there is no deadline. There is a fee. Is it $36 a month? For $36 a month to manually read um, the meters for, for smart meters going forward. Um, and if you don't have an electric, if your meter hasn't been changed out, um, there is no removal fee. We, we got rid of that. Okay. If your meter, if a smart meter's been placed on your home, there's a fee to remove it. Okay. Thank you. Ms. Dunlap, um, you had mentioned to me, though, that the power company is applying with the PUC to yes. develop a much less expensive opt-out. Yes, so uh, status is still pending at the Public Utility Commission, but we heard from customers in other areas that $36 a month was a hardship for them. So we're developing a program, and this will be ongoing and under investigation um, as we move forward, but the $36 a month would be reduced to $9 a month, so the meter would only be read three times a year, and your bill would be um, estimated based on your previous usage. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Sorry, where can we go to find out more information about the, on the status of that as to whether or not you know, if people are interested in opting out in the pilot program? Yeah, it's um, on the website, so PacificPower.net backslash smart meters. Okay, it'll be on that. Thank you. Can you comment on why someone would want to opt out? I know there's a lot of stuff on the internet and so on, but. What's, what's going on with that? In our opinion, there is no good reason to opt out. Um, we feel that smart meters are great technology and a commitment that we've made to our customers to move forward. Um, and there's real benefits there. There's insight into your energy usage that you don't currently have faster response times. Um, there's a lot of really good benefits to smart meters. So in our opinion, there is no good reason to opt out. Are they dangerous in some way? Yes. No. Um, if you look at the World Health Organization, the um, Cancer Society, all of these external groups have done rigorous studies um, and sh shown that there's no harmful or harmful um, effects with smart meters. In fact, your cell phone emits more. I now sleep with a baby monitor right next to my head that um, emits more RF than a smart meter. So if you could stick around for a few minutes, Ms. Delnab, I'm gonna open it up to if there's any public, uh, members of the public who would like to speak, please come to the podium, state your name and your address, and you have three minutes. You can just come up. Where would you like me to go? Wherever you'd like to sit. Okay, well, this is my first time. Um, I'm really nervous, I have social anxiety. Um, first beating, but yeah, I, I have, information that says otherwise. Um, please have an open mind. Um, and could you say your name and address, please? Um, my name is Jonathan. I just want to leave it at that because I am kind of going against, you know, the government and corporations to a certain degree. So anyways. Um, but yeah, this is a part of Agenda 2030. Yeah, you actually have to say uh, your full name and address. I'm okay. Sorry. Uh, Jonathan Norman, 93 Dresden. 
Okay. Well, anyways, so this is a part of Agenda 2030. This is a control grid. Um, the oligarchs, all the guys that all the guys that own uh, the oil companies, they have pulled their money out of oil and invested it into green technology. This is a control grid. Um, this does cause cancer. You can uh, Google or YouTube this. Dr. Sharon Goldberg testifies against 5G. Dr. Angie Colbeck testifies against 5G. Senator Patrick Colbeck testifies against 5G. Kevin Modis, Outreach Director of the Cali uh, California Brain Tumor Association, he testifies against this. <clears throat> also, um, there's um, two movies that I suggest that you watch. Um, they're short. Uh, we Are Changed, 5G, and the Internet of Change is everything that they want. And uh, True Stream Media, the still unresolved mystery of the Eugene signal. Okay, so anyways, 5G uses millimeter waves and, um, and uh, anyways, microwaves, etc. These are all um, a silent weapon system developed by the military. 5G uses millimeter waves. Same thing as TSA body scanners. I would like to see you guys stand in, in, in a TSA body scanner for a long time. You guys will get cancer over time. So anyways, um, this is a cumulative. This does build up over time. Um, I believe this falls under the same camp as microwaves. These are way more powerful as you go up the scale of the electromagnetic radiation scale. It gets more powerful. Like I said, this does give you cancer over time. Anyways, this is bad and dangerous and causes cancer over time. Also, 5G meters transmit your data wirelessly to the government and corporations. This is 1984. Please wake up, people. Do your research. It does cost $36 extra a month to opt out of your power company. Um, and uh, also a side note, um, 5G meters have been known to catch on fire. Just to let you guys know, do, just go online, do your research, people. You find all this stuff out. Don't forget, this is a corporation. They do, you know, they do have a lot of influence, so they will be manipulating the public. Also, 5G Wi-Fi kills sperm count. Sperm count is going down across um, the Western Hemisphere. Um, 5G does go through walls and the human body. This is not good. And recently, there was a, um, um, I just saw that there's a 70% increase, increase for cancer in the future. And I think I know where this will be coming from. 5G, GMOs, etc. So, thank you. Thank you. And can I please hand these out? To you guys? Yes. Okay, thank you. Is, it, is there anyone else who would like to speak? Megan Hodges, 396 38th Street. Um, I think there are questions as to the safety of these smart meters, and I do resent being charged to opt out of them. I've heard that even if your neighbor has one, that it can be harmful and, like he says, go through walls and you know, I'd like to see more more research on it. And while I appreciate all the money they're giving to charity, I mean, we're paying for that. So I, I, I think that's kind of arrogant to say that they're so benevolent to give all this money to charity. Where do you think it comes from? It comes from the customers. It comes from us. And um, FYI, the United Way is one of the lowest rated charities that there are. It's got a terrible... Um, reputation for the percentage that actually goes to 
use on charity and they have huge administrative costs so we're paying for that not by my choice and I think that the arrogance of Pacific Power to it to force this on us you know nine dollars would be better than thirty six dollars for sure and I, I do hope I appreciate that um, Councilman, Councilwoman West that um, that be followed up on but um, it, it does feel like Big Brother to me, for sure. So, thank you. Thank you. Uh, next speaker, please. If you said your name and address, oh, sorry, Josie Pepper, uh, five, three, five two seven six Ash Street. Um, I want to support what they said and, and request that the people on the city council do some outreach and some investigation on some of the issues that this gentleman offered. And I'm, I'm concerned about them overheating, being a fire risk, which has been documented. Um, They've also, in California, there's a class action lawsuit for them overcharging. And um, I'm also concerned about possible health, safety, security, and privacy risks, as well as the high opt-out fee. And so I hope that somebody on the council can take this on and really do some in-depth research for us. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? <laughs> Pamela Matz McDonald, 22 minutes. Thank you for ad addressing this critical issue, because considering that the clean uh, energy bill is coming in front of the legislature this session. Power sources for our community are changing. Two of the motivations for this are the invasion of Oregon by solar companies widening their markets due to technical advances in solar cells and the antique nature of our power grid. Spending on wind and solar grew 13% in 2018 from the year before, rising above 16 billion, according to solar industry watcher Wood McKenzie. It expects growth will more than double in 2019. Photovoltaics costs continue to fall. The Chinese have absorbed the tariff. The forecast is that average global module prices could fall from 30 cents per watt to 18 per watt. That's a 40% drop in the next five years. Corporate buyers like Pacific Power are leading that growth and are also touting their support of alternative energy and marketing campaigns. More and more regional solar trade conventions are catering to the business, which Solar Energy International Association started more than a decade ago. Our power grid began to be built up in the 1930s. Much of it needs to be replaced because, as we found out in the big storm of 2007, it's fragile. 
This lesson led to collective power companies in the West to look for decentralized systems where the whole electrical generation plant wasn't vulnerable. Mini-grids are a string of solar, wind, or dam-generated power sources with battery storage, which have digi digital relays to cut off on a non-functioning unit in an emergency without the whole grid going down. As solar penetration increases, states and solar companies are turning to storage. Energy storage can smooth electricity prices through arbitrage, manage ener evening energy ramps, mitigate the risk of curtailment, and provide black star capability, providing backup pow power and more. With the resources available now, power security for isolated areas, such as the mouth of Columbia, have the ability to include solar and energy storage as part of the public works, community development, and the emergency preparedness departments. The cost of lithium ion batteries, the most common type, have fallen rapidly as manufacturing has scaled up to support both electric grid applications and electric vehicles. The National Renewable Energy Laboratory's analysis suggests that increasing solar penetration in California creates a market for 7,000 megawatts of four-hour storage. Texas and New England are beginning to experience the same kinds of conditions that create these opportunities. Storage can compete for as much as 82% of projected new combustion turbine capacity projected over the next decade. That's supplanting anything that is fossil fuel. Thank you. Thank you. Mr. Hoser. That's the Thank you. David Ozer, 254 West Irving. I want to thank uh, Alyssa and uh, Pacific Power. I'm a member of the uh, school board here in Astoria. Pacific Power has been a tremendous partner and asset for us. You, as you know, we passed a bond uh, this last fall, and we have, we, uh, there are many improvements that need to be made in our buildings, and that, and that the, the proceeds of this bond will go to them. One of the things we did not ask for in that bond issue was for help in our lighting. And our lighting in many of our buildings, particularly the middle school and the high school, some of these classrooms is just terrible. It's awful. You wouldn't believe it. We are, the reason we didn't ask for money is because we are going to be working with Pacific Power and they will help us to improve this lighting, uh, at, which makes uh, students and the teachers work much easier and we expect to save in the neighborhood of $25,000 a year in our energy costs as a result of this work. So I really want to uh, Thank Melissa and thank Pacific Power. Thank you. Is there anyone else who would like to speak? Ms. Dunlap, did you have anything you wanted to say? Sure. <laughs> All right. Um, so we appreciate our customers uh, being frank with us and being willing to publicly make comments. I know it's not easy. Being a public speaker isn't easy. So. I will say that um, up front. Uh, number one, corporate giving. That's shareholder dollars. That is, has nothing to do with uh, customer dollars. They are two very separate accounting uh, <coughs> protocols internally, so I want to clear the record there. So anything that we do philanthropically comes from shareholder dollars and not customer dollars. Um, uh, the fire damage issue. So. Um, if you look online, there will be articles about smart meters causing fires. This was something that happened about a decade and a half ago, a decade ago, um, with the very first smart meters that were installed in California. 
Um, since then, technology has improved. This is one of the reasons that Pacific Power waited so long to look at this technology and to make an investment. Um, because we did not want to have technology um, that was new. We wanted technology that was tested. These meters, our meters have gone through not one, not two, not three, but four or more tests, not only internal, but also external. Um, underwriter Laboratories, or UL, if you flip over any appliance in your house, it's, you're gonna have a UL sticker. And that sticker is um, sort of the gold standard of uh, laboratory testing. So these have not only gone through that, but also several other tests. So I wanted to clear the air there. Um, on security um, and privacy issues. So um, I absolutely 100% believe that this is a most secure um, network that we could have um, built. I think that um, if you look if you look at what it's transmitting, it's only transmission transmitting what your meter transmits now, which is whole house energy data. There's no personal <coughs> data. There's um, no uh, inter. There's nothing in there that the meter is transmitting that we don't already have insight into now. The only thing that we're going to have is better information for you on your usage throughout the day. Um, the opt-out cost. So um, again, I want to reiterate, this is something Pacific Power is going to continue to look at as we hear from our customers. Um, the reason that there is a meter reading fee, the $36 a month, the reason that that's there is because our regulators, the Public Utility Commission, is very strong on not allowing us to do what's called cost sharing. So Council, Councilwoman Herman opts out. Councilor Brownson cannot pay for her choice. So there is a, a cost to that meter reading, and we can't have our customer that's next door pay for somebody else's choice, and that's why that is there. And our regulators are very strong that we do not allow cost sharing among, amongst our customers. Additional questions for me? Well, what about the health effects? That was brought up a few oh, times. Uh, yes, so uh, on our website, so if you go to that pacificpower.net backslash uh, smart meters, we have a whole host of third-party um, studies out there. So World Health Organization, American Cancer Society, the FCC, um, there's a ton of, of very well-researched um, papers that are located on our website, and I'm happy to directly share those with Council. Yeah, um, I would just like to add that if anybody's really interested, I've, been, I've taken a look at this myself, and uh, there, you're right, there's a lot of third parties not funded by anybody, and by industry necessarily, um, that have uh, done a lot of research on this. And they're really, yeah, I was thinking this might be a poor analogy, but today I was driving my 19, uh, 2007 pickup around. And I thought, you know, it was sure nice when I had my 1953 Chevy. You know, you turn off the key and everything would shut off. And as long as you didn't leave the lights on, as long as you didn't leave the radio on, your battery would work when you came back and your car would start. And then you'd turn on your radio and turn on your lights and everything would work. And it was a lot easier to work on, too, by the way. <laughs> my, but my pickup, it hasn't broken down on it starts up every time, 
everything seems to work really well. Um, it is such a better vehicle than I had in 1953. And that's the way technology works. We're constantly trying to improve our uh, quality of life through technology. And when technology is bad, it will show to be truly bad. Um, and I would suggest anybody that has an issue with smart meters, uh, I've got a great little website, it's uh, the Neurologica blog, and they talk all things critical thinking and science and skeptical thinking. And uh, they will, they look in, they take a detailed look into these studies. They look for good studies. There's good studies and there's bad studies. So, you know, I go for the good studies and I go for people that I trust are looking out for um, the right way to see these things. And so far I see nothing in a smart meter in my house throwing out a little radio wave periodically. It's pretty harmless. Uh, so, you know, get the phone. If, if you really have concerns, put your phone away, turn off your Wi-Fi, put down your computers, walk away. Um, but this is just simple technology, in my, my opinion. So I appreciate it. Because I, I think um, Pamela mentioned when this came up last time that this also helps facilitate solar panels and, and uh, renewable energy. That when, if I want solar panels on, this will help in the process. It's part of a better system. And you know, we need a stronger grid. We need to be smart about using our power because uh, it's essential if we want to maintain our quality of life. We need to be smart in how we use it. So, you know, people like the old analog grid and don't want a good upgraded digital grid that will be safer uh, than the one that exists, more efficient, then, you know, we're just going to continue to uh, have more and more problems. You know, we, we have a serious issue out here in the world. We have uh, climate change happening, and renewables and smart use of energy is an important aspect of it. So I appreciate uh, this coming along. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Anyone else? Thank you very much, Ms. Dunlap. Thank you. Uh, next, I would like to uh, welcome uh, Ms. Tanya Moffitt, who will present the audited financial statements for the fiscal year ending June 30, 2018, for the City of Mastery and also for the Urban Community District. Honorable Mayor and City Council, it is my pleasure to be here tonight to talk to you about the June 30, 2018 audited financial statements for the City of Astoria, as well as the City of Astoria Urban Renewal Agency. I'm happy to report that our opinion is a clean opinion or an unmodified opinion. That's the highest level of opinion that we can give on financial statements. So I'd like to explain a little bit about what we do. When we go in and do an audit, we come in and we do a risk-based audit. So we come in and look at what's the highest risk areas within the city. And then we go through and we analyze that and we look for external sources where we get that information. We also look at internal records that the city keeps. And I'm happy to report <coughs> that whenever we asked for anything, we got it in an, a, a timely manner and we had full access to anything that we asked for. And that was not just in the finance department, that also includes public works, it includes the city's management, it doesn't matter what area that we asked for, we were um, 
allowed access to all of those records. Everything that we looked at had support and had um, valid information. There's no information in the city's or the agency's financial statements that doesn't have some sort of accounting guidance. So there's nothing that's really abnormal or unusual in the city's financial statements. I'd like to note that there's one significant accounting change between the June 30, 2018 and the June 30, 2017 financial statements. And that's because of the Government Accounting Standards Board who sets the standards in the financial statement. It's called GASB 75. It's in, because of other post-employment benefits. So you will see a prior period adjustment in financial statements. That is just due to an accounting change. So that has nothing to do with like the way that the city's doing anything. It's just a, an external body that sets the regulations that governments go, fall under they had an accounting change. So if you compare those two financial statements, you will see some different numbers, and it's primarily because of this GASB 75. Uh, there is also, at the back of the financial statements, um, for the city, it's on page 114. I'd just like to draw your attention to this. So the state legislature, or the Oregon State, um, like the governor's office, they have determined that there's some specific things that they want Oregon municipal auditors to look at to make sure that the entities and municipalities are in compliance with state law. So for example, we look at Oregon budget law. We also look at public purchasing law, which is ORS 279. So if the city does a large project, they go out to bid. They make sure that everybody has an opportunity to come in and bid on the project, that the best person is selected or the best entity is selected. So we go in and we test these things. They're not necessarily something that would have happened in a normal, traditional financial audit, but these are things that the legislature has specifically asked Oregon municipal auditors to go in and look at. I'm happy to report that when we looked at that for the city and for the Urban Renewal Agency, we had no findings or no non-compliance when we were looking at these things. So that's great. There's a list here. We look at, for example, we look at uh, gas tax funds, so to ensure that the city is spending those appropriately. So all of those things that the Oregon State Legislature has asked us to look at, we looked at and we had no findings for the city of Astoria or for the Urban Renewal Agency. So that's great. It's very rare that I can come in front of a, those charged with governance and be able to say that there were no findings. So I'm happy to report that. That just goes to show the caliber of city management and the finance department in putting together these financial statements for you and for the citizens within the city. Does anybody have any questions for me on the audit? No. I left you each one of my business cards, so if you have additional questions when you have an opportunity to sit here and read these, you know, um, I was joking with Councilor Roca, Roca that um, if you have insomnia, feel free to pick this up and read the pension note or the other post-employment benefit note. Um, but truly, if you have any questions, please feel free to give us a call. I would rather explain something throughout the year rather than wait until the audit. And I'd like to just give, you know, props to your finance department, um, you know, Susan Brooks, and then also to the city manager, and you know, for letting us have access um, to everything when we came out here to do the audit. So. Thank you very much, Ms. Mock. Thank you. And I'll echo the uh, thanks to Ms. Brooks. Uh, yourself, uh, your staff, the late Mr. Snyder, uh, the department heads who give you the information so you can 
maintain our records in such an exemplary manner. We're very fortunate to have you and all the staff and also Mr. Estes, thanks for your leadership as well. Thank, Thank you. you. Reports of counselors. Councilor Brockett. Councilor West. Uh, nothing to report. Councilor Brownson. Thank you, Mayor. Um, just a few things. I've uh, uh, been a little bit busy the last couple of weeks. I was able to uh, uh, lobby for the city uh, along with the League of Oregon Cities on Capitol Day uh, down in Salem and uh, had an opportunity to meet with Senator Johnson and uh, Representative Mitchell in their offices, and uh, it was kind of fun because I met with uh, Tiffany Mitchell first, and she was in her new office, and it was nice and orderly, and everything was just in its place, and um, very neat, and, uh, very good. And then I went to Senator Johnson's <coughs> office, and it was chaos. <laughs> you could see that somebody had been there for a while and was really busy. There was stuff everywhere. So um, I suspect Tiffany's office will get that way over time. And by the way, I just, just want to uh, acknowledge publicly the work that she did uh, with the state legislature as a brand new you know, legislator to go in there and find a way to help out our Coast Guard in the future to uh, be able to make funds available so that if, if there's another shutdown, they would be able to get some financial help from the state and um, to work with uh, people there and to accomplish that in short order, I thought was just brilliant. So uh, I think we can continue to hope for good things from her. Um, and also have meeting of the small cities, uh, for, this is another thing we're going to see. So small cities get, get together regionally. We met down in Manzini for a couple hours, basically just to talk about uh, what we'd like to see the next three meetings uh, talk about. Uh, down there, and the only thing that, and there's going to be a report that I'll post on, on my Facebook page uh, that will be a synopsis of what we talked about there, but I want to say that small cities are designated in, by LOC as under 7,500 people, so, you know, we're, we're more than that, and so I was the outlier, and this is just Tillamook and Classic County, I, I had to object because every other city 
got to go to this little meeting except that story of him, except by, you know, I wasn't qualified to be there. And, uh, and I suggested that they make it under 10,000. There's actually a really good reason for this because a lot of, when a city in Oregon reaches the 10,000 plus mark, there are a lot of Oregon statutes that start coming into play that start asking, requiring cities to do additional reporting, tracking, and whatnot. And you, you end up in this whole different agenda. I think that, uh, you know, we have a lot more in common with these other cities than those over 10,000. So um, we'll see if they'll change that for us. The other things, real quickly, uh, uh, I did get a chance to uh, join the Lower Columbia Diversity Coalition uh, with, one, with their meeting and uh, sit down and listen to their discussion and join in on their discussion about diversity in Astoria. And also, the Chamber of Commerce had their awards dinner, and I went to that too. Um, and I want to congr congratulate Jennifer uh, um, Holland, yes, and, and the missing Ray Merrick. Merrick, <laughs> please stand up. And they, they, he wouldn't show up for his award either. They were holding up his picture in, in lieu of him, and, and he's been noted as missing for the last week. So he's uh, very humble about the work that he does, and uh, I just wanted to point out that we appreciate them uh, both for getting their award. It's uh, Georgia Award, Georgia Award, which is all about you know community activity, you know working in the community and contributing and volunteering. So uh, appreciate that, and uh, that's it. Thank you, Councilor Yes, um, picking up where Councilor Rocca left off regarding the new counselor department tours. They're not only really informative, they're great fun. Um, for me, for some strange reason, the highlight was getting to go behind the locked gate at the sewage treatment pond. <laughs> well, and to add a little bit of excitement to it, um, Councillor Rocket had had to undo his seatbelt to help unlock the gate. So once we're inside the gate and we're starting to go by the ponds and he's behind the wheel, He's still trying to buckle his seatbelt. <laughs> Please don't go in the drink. <laughs> um, I also had the pleasure of meeting with folks from the Astoria Visual Arts Association just to learn about what's going on in the arts community, one of which is their new studio space, Beautiful Gallery, at the corner of 10th and Duane. So I encourage all of you to go by and check that out. And then finally, I will have my first Meet the Counselor event a week from this coming Wednesday on February 13th from 4.30 to 6 in the flag room of the public library. So come by and tell me what's on your mind. Thanks, Council Herman. Uh, I also attended the Lower Columbia Diversity Coalition meeting a Sunday a week ago with Councilor Bronson and Councilor Herman in a good discussion. I'm glad I was able to attend that. And uh, this week, uh, attended the uh, Homelessness Solutions Task Force along with our, uh, our chair, uh, Chief Spaulding, and that was my first opportunity to attend one of those meetings. And it was good to see there's so many different people representing different organizations that are actually doing things every day to assist uh, people that are suffering from homelessness. And a lot of it doesn't uh, get widespread attention because it's one person at a time who gets helped with an ID card uh, or who gets help directed to treatment or who gets assistance from class of community action to cover a gap in rent for that month so they can stay in their apartment for one more month. So these things happen every day behind the scenes 
and uh, you know, host doesn't get credit for that, but the host members are the ones doing that, that great work. On Friday, I was uh, privileged to uh, do a, something fun as mayor, uh, uh, go to Lewis Clark Elementary School, and as many of you know, Ms. Kelly Grote, a fourth grade teacher, invited me to speak to the fourth graders, and uh, I think you'd have been proud, Mrs. Ozer. I think they enjoyed themselves, and I did as well. Also attended the Chamber of Commerce banquet, and I had the privilege of giving the speech for Ray Merritt, uh, which he didn't hear because he refused to come and still isn't here. So one day I'll give him that speech right to his face. Uh, tomorrow I have my first Meet the Mayor event at the library in the flag room at 4.30, so please come and tell me what's on your mind as well. And uh, that's it. The consent calendar. Items on the consent calendar are considered routine and will be adopted by one motion unless a member of the council requests to have any item considered separately. Members of the community may have an item removed if they contact the city manager by 5 p.m. the day of the meeting. Has any citizen asked? Um, there were no changes to the agenda and no requests for the consent calendar. Okay, I skipped right over the agenda. Okay, and uh, has do any, have any counselors asked to remove an item from the consent calendar? Not directly to me. Any, anyone? In that case, could we have a motion to approve the consent calendar items A through J? Uh, I move that we approve the consent calendar as presented. I second that. Uh, can we have a roll call, please, uh, Chief Curtis? Councilor Herman? Aye. Councilor Brownson? Aye. Councilor West? Aye. Councilor Rocca? Aye. And Mayor Jones. Aye. Regular agenda. All agenda items are open for public comment following deliberation by the council. Rather than ask for public comment after each item, I ask that audience members raise your hand if you'd like to speak to the item and you'll be recognized. In order to respect everyone's time, comments are limited to three minutes. Item A is a public hearing and resolution for supplemental budget resolution for waterfront bridges project fund number 190 and maritime memorial fund number 148. so again order revised statutes provides the guidance for us to be able to conduct a uh, an amendment or have a supplemental budget when it's needed there are two items uh, that are being brought to the city council's uh, attention tonight one of them is the companion portion of the public hearing which was held before the Estuary Development Commission. The other one is is uh, dealing with a separate issue. The first one I'll, I'll deal with is the Maritime Memorial component. As was noted in the Estuary Development Commission meeting, uh, you've approved a request to provide um, or to accept a loan uh, from the City of Astoria and in order to facilitate the completion of that project, this uh, loan would be in the amount of uh, $50,000. A supplemental budget is provided which recognizes the loan proceeds and provides the additional appropriations and capital outlay within the Maritime Memorial Fund. Again, this is a loan from the Astoria Development Commission to the City of Astoria to be able to expand the Maritime Memorial. The other item is a budget uh, adjustment for Astoria Road District Number 170 and promo of Astoria Fund 1, excuse me, 410. The council adopted supplemental budgets at the August 20th, 2018 meeting to provide additional funds in Astoria Road District and Promote Astoria, providing additional contributions from the city to the final bid costs associated with the Waterfront Bridges project. Uh, 
As of August 20th of last year, the final amount the city would be required to contribute was unknown, and the details of an additional loan from the Infrastructure Finance Authority were pending. This amount is now available, and the supplemental budget provides accounts for the additional loan proceeds, amounts to be contributed to the project, and the interest payment on the Infrastructure Finance Authority loan balance in the current fiscal year. Our finance director, Susan Brooks, can answer any specific questions on these uh, supplemental budgets if you have questions. But tonight, it's recommended that the council conduct a public hearing and approve the supplemental budgets as presented in the resolution. The public hearing is, uh, the public hearing is now open on this issue. Would anyone like to uh, address this issue? Public hearing is closed, and council discussion. If none, would anyone like to make a motion? Are we making a motion on both of these, or just a memorial? Yes, yeah, so it would be a motion uh, to approve uh, the resolution, which would approve the supplemental budgets as presented. Uh, I move that we approve the resolution uh, and the supplemental budgets as presented. I'll second. Roll call, Chief Spaulding. Yes. Councilor Brown? Aye. Councilor Brownson? Aye. Councilor West? Aye. Councilor Rock? Aye. Mayor Jones? Aye. Okay, item 7B is the second reading and adoption vacation of a portion of the right-of-way on 26th Street northwest of Harrison abutting adjacent un undeveloped lots. So the city received a request from John Wood on behalf of Adela Wood to vacate a 60 by 150 foot portion of the 26th Street unimproved right-of-way abutting two parcels of Ms. Woods. And Ms. Wood would like to combine these two lots in order to construct a residential structure. At your last meeting on January 22nd, the council conducted a public hearing and held the first reading of the ordinance for the vacation. I would recommend that the council conduct the second reading this evening and adopt the ordinance to vacate the 60 by 150 foot portion of the 26th Street right of way. And public works staff are here if there are any specific questions. Discussion? Well, I, I guess I would just say I, I did vote against this uh, at our last meeting, first time around, and for two reasons. Uh, some of the neighbors had concerns about uh, the stability of the soil and about what will happen to the water courses if something is developed there. And the other was um, um, when we, when well, of course, anybody in Astoria at this point can cut down anything they want. And so conceivably that, that area could be logged in some mature trees, and if we're concerned at all about things like uh, global warming and carbon sequestration, we don't want to see things like that happen. But those are concerns rather than evidence that these things are happening, and I don't want to make a mountain out of a lot. And, and, um, so I don't know that I will vote for it, but um, I, I just said the concerns are still up, particularly the neighbors' concerns about, uh, about unstable soil and, and water. Thank you. I was, I voted for it, but I had some of the same concerns um, as Roger. So is it 
in hearing what Brett just said, is there now a proposal to build a structure on the two? No. That, that was that was a proposal um, that was that was brought to the council last time as well. So the the intent all along was to be able to combine the lots to be able to build a structure. Okay, but the but the proposal for the structure hasn't has, has not come before the council. The what council is considering is to whether or not to vacate uh, the the right of way. Okay. And because this is requiring an ordinance, it requires two readings of the ordinance. And um, so the final vote as to whether or not to approve the vacation would be tonight if you wish to have the second reading and then you know, the final uh, decision. Thank you. Well, I move that we, uh, we have to ask for the reading before the motion. Yeah, that reading for the motion. So Ms. Brooks, could you conduct the second reading? An ordinance granting the vacation of a portion of the right-of-way on 26th Street, northwest of Harrison, abutting adjacent undeveloped lots, tax lots 80909CC02301 and 80909CC04101. I move that we adopt the ordinance to vacate the 60 by 150 portion, foot portion of the 26th Street right-of-way adjacent Adjacent tax lots 80909CC02301 and 80909CC04101. I'll second that. Uh, roll call, Mr. Pearson. Councilor Herman? Aye. Councilor Brownson? Aye. Councilor West? Aye. Councilor Rocco? No. Mayor Lumen or Mayor Jones? Aye. Uh, item 7C is authorized ODOT local agency agreement amendment for the waterfront bridges replacement project. So um, this agenda item is dealing with the construction which is happening along the waterfront and this evening I was able to hear the pile driving that was going on um, from my house and I'm sure every, uh, other folks are as well who are particularly along the, uh, the north slope of uh, the city. But where the city's numbered streets between 6th and 11th meet the Columbia River, there's a short bridge which connects solid ground to an overwater pier structure. And these bridge structures are important to the waterfront businesses within that area. Um, Cindy, I think is in the audience, uh, Cindy Moore is our assistant city engineer um, who's been working on this project. And I'm going to first ask if Cindy can come forward and give a uh, a status update as to the progress on the waterfront bridge project and then if you could uh, maybe just briefly give a bit of an introduction to the item at hand this evening in terms of what's being brought forward. Okay. I'm Cindy Moore, Assistant City Engineer. Uh, as far as the, the status of our construction, um, just as a reminder, we have the odd-numbered streets under construction right now, so that's 7th, 9th, and 11th streets. Um, our even-numbered streets will start in October, so those are, are not under construction right now. And um, I'm happy to say that they're all uh, under construction at different phases. Um, I'll go through each one. So keep in mind, these are three individual structures that are being constructed at the same time by the same con contractor. So 11th Street, we had um, intended that one to, to be constructed first. Um, when we were getting into removing the piles, part of the, uh, the, some of the demo work had been done and the crane was getting positioned to remove piles, 
Um, there was some damage to the roadway that we noticed and we did some inspections of the structures underneath. And just for your information, 11th Street's unique to all the other streets because the tunnel and the um, chair wall structures go all the way to the head wall of that street. That is not the case on any of the other streets that are being reconstructed. Um, and when the city went to inspect the structures to make sure there hadn't been any damage, we found uh, that the tunnel had been undermined um, and needed to be repaired before that uh, crane could get out there and, and do, its, do its work and remove piles and then install piles. So the crane was relocated to 7th Street. And so the schedule has been disrupted with that activity. Um, since that time, we have done our work. We had some flowable concrete that we put down there to um, stabilize the tunnel. We replaced um, some deteriorated storm pipe that was also in there and installed uh, what we call <coughs> micro piles, small, um, small piles so to support the equipment that was out there that did the work and as well as um, support the crane when it came back. The crane is back at 11th Street. It, uh, as far as I knew, at three o'clock when I was down there, they were removing the piles um, and probably removed them all today. I can't say that for sure. Um, if they didn't, they will remove them by tomorrow and expect to start installing the piles on 11th Street on Wednesday. Uh, 9th Street is the furthest along. Um, it, all the piles have been installed. They've all been cut to their correct um, height and we would expect their, the caps, that, that's the next stage, um, the pile caps are supposed to arrive this week so you'll start to see that forming, some flat work forming on 9th Street. Uh, 7th Street is the second farthest along. Um, all those piles have been installed as well and by all the piles I mean the ones in the water. There's a few more on each of them that will need to be done at the head wall. Uh, and they were, were removing um, some of their guides and moving them to 7th Street. So there's a lot of work going on right now um, at all the locations, all at different stages, um, but it's exciting to see uh, that going on. And as you heard today, they were driving pile at 7th Street. They've already done that at 9th. It only took a couple days for the hammering, um, so fairly minimal disruption that way. Um, as far as the, the schedule, uh, the contractor is under contract to finish the project by Memorial Day weekend. They, the other um, component of the schedule that's in their contract is to finish all the in-water work by the end of February. There hasn't been any documented change to that, however we are aware there were some delays particularly associated with moving the crane and then some um, changes associated with paperwork on ODOT side. Another point just to remember is that this project's being, the contract is with ODOT on our behalf. They're constructing these um, bridges on our behalf. And ODOT is also managing the construction and the inspection portion of this project. Okay, I don't know everything. Was there anything more? There, any questions? Maybe, maybe Mayor, may I suggest maybe if there are any questions about the uh, the project itself in terms of the status, maybe if you want to have counselors ask that before we move into okay. the particular request before you tonight. Okay. Any uh, questions or comment? Just real quickly on the uh, um, sort of question about delay. Um, the the main thing, the main the most important thing that we can't afford 
to delay on is the in-water work. We need to get that done. And do you have a sense that that will all get done uh, in time? So the because then the pro that's the only way the project can be completed. Correct. Right? No, that is definitely a critical uh, deadline to the project. There is it's um, tight. I'll, I'll say that um, there is an opportunity to ask for an extension on that. They don't like to do that. So um, right now they don't have any official extensions on the on the in water work, and that would be through their permits. And um, they are working towards that deadline of getting out of the water by that February twenty eighth date. Okay, keep my fingers crossed. Mm -hmm. Thanks. Overall, though, do you know if they are on schedule to complete by Memorial Day? Like I said, they don't have any official um, extensions, but we are aware as a team that they have some legitimate um, justification for asking for an extension of that deadline. So I don't have any, um, I can't tell you officially that there's an extension. Right now they're still under that, that deadline. And keep in mind, that's a contract deadline. So contractors can finish early, they can finish late, but there's liquidated damages, which means they get penalized monetarily for missing that date. Um, right now, that's their contract date. Well, I guess I would just say that the folks who must in a hurry, obviously, are the businesses in that area. And uh, well, the, if there is a delay, it may be unavoidable, but uh, we can all help by not forgetting those businesses are there. Last time I was there, I was pleased to see that people were finding their way to them. At first, that didn't seem to be true. It was like a ghost town, but now that has improved somewhat. But go have a sandwich or a beer or whatever. Yeah. Help them have a cupcake, right? Help them, help them survive until this is over. Okay. So, Cindy, if you uh, would just uh, give a a brief overview of in terms of the item which is before the council tonight. Okay. Uh, we were expecting this amendment to our IGA when the project was um, bid, the bids came in high and at that time we worked with ODOT to come up with an arrangement um, that we agreed to verbally uh, where we would match our typical and minimum 10.27% of the additional money, as well as uh, an additional amount, basically we said we match up to double. We, ex we estimated that to be a $220,000 match and that we would contribute $220,000 more. Um, basically as a, hey, this is good faith, this is, these are our bridges. We realized the bids came in high, that wasn't necessarily anybody's fault. Um, there's a lot of contributing factors to that. Uh, and we, we thought we would position ourselves better for ODOT contributing that additional amount because they also had to come up with additional funding um, through their bridge committee. So at that time, um, the ODOT did something that we have not seen before and anyone I've talked to uh, would tell you that this does not typically happen. They awarded the project without that amendment being in place. And that was because the, the timeline of the project was critical to get that in-water work period. We would have been delayed an entire year and we would have had to rebid the project and it was a, it was, there were a lot of um, costs associated with that. So we can be grateful to ODOT for basically covering our portion of the match um, of the additional funds um, until this time. So since 
that August timeframe when they, um, when we awarded the project and ODOT uh, fronted the money for us, they've been working on this amendment and now we have it before us, the official amendment. Um, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I can tell you that there's um, the 10.27% match. I know there's the $29,900. That was something we anticipated, um, just briefly, when we, on 11th Street, the sidewalks are 12 feet wide. ODOT said that the, they could only participate in replacing eight feet of the, the 12 feet of our existing sidewalk, and we, as a um, city, determined that we would really like our 12 feet back, so we paid for that additional four feet on either side, and that's what the 29,900 is. And then the rest of uh, the remaining is what um, the balance of the additional um, that we need to pay, which wasn't quite what we, it's less than what we anticipated, which is nice. So as you can see in the memo, as it's been outlined, the memo was meant to be able to, as we know that there are three new councilors um, on the city council since when the project was in, initially awarded. And then the scenarios that uh, Ms. Moore brought forward were brought to the, the city council uh, this last fall. We wanted to be able to help try to tell the story in terms of what happened here. And really what happened was the, we had an estimate, ODOT bid the project, um, the project got two bids, which were very close to one another, um, and that they were um, over $2 million higher than, than the estimate. Um, we were fortunate uh, that uh, ODOT was willing to be able to commit additional funds to this project. Um, they asked us to, to put a little bit more skin in the game uh, to be able to make the, the project happen, which uh, there was the, the, the verbal commitment uh, and with council's blessing to be able to move forward with it. And, and because of the timing of needing to be able to get going on this in-water work period, ODOT was willing to, as Ms. Moore said, front uh, some of the funds while um, you know, they were working on the agreement. Uh, so where we are at this point in time is, is bringing this uh, amended agreement with, with ODOT for the project to you for ratification. And uh, I'll say you know, the sheer benefit of this project is, is again tied to the ability of, to be able to gain access to the waterfront property owners. And, and frankly, if this project didn't happen this fiscal year, we were going to have a couple hundred thousand dollars of improvements that we we're going to have to do that were going to be throwaway uh, just to be able to keep the keep the the bridges um, stable um, until they were replaced. So there's um, quite a bit of benefit there. So tonight it's recommended that the city council approve the local agency agreement amendment with Oregon Department of Transportation for our waterfront bridges project. And between Cindy and myself, we'll answer any other questions. Thanks for staying on top of this. I know it's been a lot of, uh, very time consuming, a lot of work. Well, I'm not hearing any comments out there. And I do appreciate our public works. And, and uh, you know, this is just another example of how hard you guys work and the relationships that you've established with other agencies so that we could, you know, keep something like this moving and not get caught into that delay. 
uh, I know driving, you know, doing walk over the water work is so time sensitive, and uh, you've got to take advantage of the time when you have it. So that's a great job, and I like uh, to make, I like to move um, that we approve the local agency agreement amendment with ODOT for the waterfront bridges replacement project. I second that. All in favor? Aye. Aye. All opposed? That concludes our normal business, and now I'll open it up for public comment on any uh, topic of interest. If you come up, please uh, state your full name and address, and you're limited to three minutes, so the time is displayed on the screen. McDonald, 22 minutes, Astoria. Um, the, uh, I was encouraged the city to install charging units in their parking places because I was at the Tesla place in uh, Seaside last weekend and I got the last spot. It was totally packed. Mm -hmm. And every time I tried to charge at the downtown, there's already, there's tons of, it's already full. So we are, there's a million and a half electric vehicles in this country already, three and a half million in the world today. And next year, and this year, a dozen new affordable EVs will be coming online. And in 2020, there'll be another dozen that are coming online. And uh, I really encourage you for that because you could make lots of good revenue from that. So uh, please consider that. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Megan Hodges, 396-38, on a less contentious subject. I'm hoping for some guidance from um, Councilman or Mayor Jones, who was the councilman for my area, and um, Jeff Spaulding. Um, I live, unfortunately, two doors from the Goonies house, and I have. I know this topic has been brought up before, but I was unfortunately out of state when. Um, uh, Chief Spaulding sent letters out for feedback, and in my area, um, the problems are varied. What I, what affects me most besides scary people walking up my private road when I'm in my pajamas outside walking my dog or something, um, I have one and maybe two parking places total, and the majority of people that um, are in are a nuisance to me are those who just idle. So the increase in the fine of $100 is not really, doesn't really do anything because they come and just idle. I mean, I just feel stupid calling the police. There's someone, but I'm trying to just move. I'm trying to get home. And that happens every single day in the sort of May to November, October. So um, I don't know, you know, I'm from, uh, like Chief Spaulding, Orange County originally, where the parking is so impacted that it's permit parking. And if you have, like my sister had a graduation party, and she was able to go to the police department and get a, a one-day uh, parking pass to put on the sticker, I thought, well, if I have a dinner party, that's going to be a sad dinner party with one guest. So I don't know what the solution is, but I'm hoping for some... Um, both for the idlers, because you know the ex the fumes and exhaust from them just sitting there, and the pulling in the driveways and out. I know that's an issue for the other people, and I have friends who live around the corner, 
And the same thing, like, gosh, where are guests going to park if we want to have guests? We have two spots. So, you know, we're being penalized for this myriad of people who come up to gawk or walk or damage our private road that we maintain ourselves. So I don't know what the solution is, but I know that, um, you know, something, and I know that's a lot of paperwork and red tape to do temporary passes, but it seems like if you could show ID and get, just for the day, some paper passes to put on your guest windshield to give a pass, I don't know, but um, hoping for some solutions in that respect. Thank you. Thank you very much. Chief Spalding, I forget what what the date was of that meeting that you held that I attended at the at Alderbrook Hall. Is that about four months ago, it seems? Approximately. A lot of, a lot of the neighbors up, yes. came to that. And, and so, new signs have been put up already. Have you gotten any feedback at all, or new feedback from the? You know? No, I've, I've, I've heard no complaints. Um, however, as uh, Ms. Hodges mentioned, so we're in the off season right now, so yeah. I wouldn't really expect much this time of year, but uh, we're prepared for the warm season. It is, it is a tough issue. You know, the chamber stopped advertising Goonhouse a long time ago. They're very supportive. There's just a couple of websites out there that yeah. we can't get well, rid of on the internet. I'll just tell you that, that when people come up, the feedback is, and, and it's no nothing against the Astoria Police Department, but it's it's a low priority thing. They're like, oh well, the response time is 20 minutes, so I'm fine to just sit here and take my pictures or do whatever. And, and it's a very narrow road coming in there on Duane. So I literally can't get home. You know, a friendly toot-toot, I'm just trying to get home. And they're like, go around. Or they don't realize where I'm going. No, I'm, go I'm going here where you're blocking. I'm trying to get home. So it's, it's the idling. And the increase in $100 fine doesn't really, you know, and by the time we did, if we did really call them, They'd be gone. The people would be gone. So it's really a frustrating. And I, I don't expect them to post someone out there. And you know, I don't know what else to do. We put signs up. Don't come up here. Don't park here. So it's it's just frustrating. It's, it, it's the summer's going to be not fun. Yeah, it, it really is frustrating. And the police have tried to do what they can, and we we, we don't yeah. have the ability to have some up there I all know. the time. And yeah. they'll try to be responsive if. If, yeah. there's, if there's an issue, and we'll monitor it going, you know, spring going into summer. Councilor West, I'm sure, will probably be attending a meeting with Chief Spalding this summer about it as, yeah. as well. So, the next, please. Hi, my name is Miles Ruddock. I live in Warrington, Oregon, 449 uh, North Main Avenue. Um, I'm here to talk about Drag Queen Story Hour, which is this Saturday, February 9th, uh, 10.30 a.m. I understand it's about diversity and welcoming people into our community and making children feel safe. I'm totally, I'm totally 100% in agreement with that. My problem is, is I hold in my hand right here a picture of a man in a shower that says, shout out to Amazie. Now, Amazie is on the Drag Queen Story Hour webpage. So within, it takes me about two clicks from the Astoria Public Library's webpage. I can go to a picture of a man in a shower shouting out to a little boy and all of you on the city council and i spoke with mr spaulding and mr uh, pearson there have pictures of this i can also show you another picture again within two or three clicks from the astoria public library site and this one really upsets me i mean of course a naked man in the shower shouting out to a little boy like that shouldn't upset me uh, 10 year old boy dances on stage for money at adult gay bar in new york this is desmond is amazing Within two clicks from the Astoria Public Library's website, three clicks, I can get to that. 
They are promoting 10-year-old children stripping. I don't care if it's boy, girl, how they are dressed. I feel this is inappropriate. If I'm the only one in this room that feels that way, and none of you on this city council or none of you in leadership feel that way, shame on you. This is our children. We need to protect them. Thank you. Did you have something to yes, say? Yes, I did. Thank you. My name is Ed Bustard. I'm also from Warrington. And maybe not quite as passionate as Miles is there. I do have concerns. Uh, I've checked these sites out. They are exactly what he's saying. Uh, it's kind of shocking that we would be linked to something like that in our community. I know I'm an adjacent community, but I just felt the need to speak up about this. I would have a problem with any adult male in a gown with a hood with eye holes cut in it talking to little children there. And I think the same has to be said for an adult male dressed as a female. It's a concern. And I just want to be out there and put an opinion out. I, I know I'm not alone in this, you know, and I know it's not just Miles and I. There is a lot of people in the community concerned about this. A lot of us were very shocked to find out this happened last year. You know, maybe people in this room didn't even realize that happened last year. It's concerning, especially when you see what they're promoting. It is grooming by any definition. In their own words, you go to the site, they talk about grooming and recruiting. Right on their site, yes they do. I see you shaking your head, no they do. You can go check it out for yourselves. Thank you for your time. May I say a few words, Mayor Jones? Please do. Um, I wish that gentleman had stuck around to hear um, at least why I support this program. <clears throat> Excuse me, one, there's, there's no illegal, illegal activity going on, uh, such as grooming or um, words, as has been alleged um, to us as counselors um, by the person who just spoke. If that were to happen, it would be shut down immediately. It's illegal, that would not happen. Those other websites are not affiliated with the city of Astoria or the library department. Um, there is a Drag Queen Astoria Hour website, which is a national program, but I saw nothing objectionable on that site, nothing that would be offensive, unless you are offended by men dressing in a dress. Um, is it different from what I, my husband wears? Sure. Um, I know the person, the drag queen in question. I've known him for about 30 years. He's a wonderful man. He's a friend. I would trust him with my life. Um, I would also like to say that we live in a great country with First Amendment rights. And libraries have always been on the front line of defending our First Amendment rights. The Drag Queen Story Hour will take place in the flag room, which has a door. So if parents bring their children there, they do not want their children exposed to the story hour, they won't be. It's as simple as that. It's about freedom of choice, which is what our country is about. We're not talking about breaking any laws, violating children in horrible ways. I support this. It's good for all of us to be exposed to people who are different from us that we might not understand so that we can see that they're human. Thank you. You know, I would echo Councillor Herman's comments as well, and I plan to be there Saturday morning with Jimmy at, your, at the library. And certainly the, the gentleman who's doing the reading, as Councillor Herman indicated, is a, is a very fine 
man who I've volunteered with on numerous occasions with the youth programs at the Army, and I'm sure he's going to do a marvelous job reading to the kids in a program which, as you indicated, is a voluntary. Any children that are there are there because their parents are choosing to bring them, probably because they heard that last year it was very enjoyable for the kids that attended. And, and then, you know, lastly, anything that excites young people about reading is, is fine with me, right, Mrs. Ozer? <laughs> well said by both of you, and uh, we may have to be there as well. Yeah, I agree uh, completely. I will be there also. Um, yeah. I think it is noteworthy that nobody noticed it last year. I'm sorry. I think it is noteworthy that no, you know, that a lot of people weren't aware of it last year. It's not that big of a deal. It's just individuals expressing themselves of who they are and letting people understand that. And it is cho it is choice. You know, if I have a child and bothers me, I don't have to bring that child in there. If I don't want to go, I don't have to go. I also trust completely our library director and his judgment. He has shown himself to be an honorable and honest and straightforward uh, individual. And uh, yeah, I just don't have any, any problem with this at all. So, and I want to thank you for, uh, you know, allowing diversity to, uh, flourish in this town. We're a very diverse town. Yeah. Thank you. I would also like to thank uh, Joan in particular for speaking up first um, and Jimmy for your uh, integrity throughout this situation. Um, it was, I have rehearsal with Marco right after this, so it was very difficult for me to hear some of the assumptions made, in particular the comparison to a, a hooded KKK individual, especially with the recent um, flyers that we've had up around town. Uh, I don't see those as related at all. Um, I don't see Marco or any individual participating in the Drag Queen Story Hour as uh, advocating a message of um, hate which is what I consider to be uh, prevalent throughout the KKK community, um, or anything uh, being hidden as, as a white hood would also indicate. So I think like Tom said, if, you, if it's something that you're interested in or that you support, go. Uh, I will be there as well. Take your children if that's something you, you think that they might be um, they might benefit from, and, and if not, of course you don't have to go. So, thank you. And I, I do thank um, the people that have spoken up in opposition just for your bravery in coming forward as well. So, we are here to listen to every side. Any other uh, comments on any other topics? With that, we are adjourned. <laughs>